I think uh, the reason for us being able to conduct a reason-based discussion on what kitsch and art is, is that we both have a, a clear idea of where we stand mm. and we do not perceive uh, an objective argument as a personal attack. I think that's a good vantage point for a conversation. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking something that, that really helped me when it came to uh, the distinction between kitchen art. I was reading, I don't know if you read uh, Hermann Brock. Um, it's, uh, it's not a very diplomatic title. The Evil, evil in the Value System of Art, mm. which is kitchen, of course. And it uses very religious, uh, very aggressive rhetoric. Um, but the concepts that he introduced really helped me. He talks about the value system of mm. kitsch and the value system of art. Mm -hmm. Because I think, coming from my uh, perspective, there's a lot of, I, I think, there's a lot of uh, figurative painters who, who sort of hate the modernists or we are the true artists and there's a lot of like bitterness or aggression or, or envy or whatever. Uh, but I think if you just sort of step back from that and look at it from above and see well, this is a system that has those values and that's a system that has these values. Mm. And, you know, don't confuse them. Mm. I mean, like art critics or art historians do the same thing, right? Yeah. Uh, criticizing uh, a classical figure painter for not being so-called modern. Mm. So I think if we can just, you know, establish what those value systems, the principles of the va those value systems are, then we can sort of calm things down a bit and you can get to sort of a live and let live situa situation. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think when it comes to uh, the value system, of, well, if you could start with the value system of art. I think, I know what you think, but I think the most important principle, I guess, is the, that idea of aesthetical indifference. Yeah. That could that could be true, I guess. Uh, the modernist or the modern kind of art value system is basically, or heavily uh, relying on the philosophy of Immanuel Kant as a predecessor. And I guess when Alexander von Baumgarten starts to uh, reinvigorate or or establish the concept of the aesthetics in I think 1735 or something. Mm. Uh, I've been trying to look into uh, Larry Shiner on, on your request to, to kind of get a more historical, cultural historical account of how these uh, things developed. So there is uh, the, the part of uh, this aesthetic uh, disinterestedness, I guess, that we can get from uh, Kant. And there's also this uh, focus, I think, on uh, play and uh, exploration. And I guess in a more abstract sense, just a, a sort of creative problem solving that could be uh, attained through any uh, particular medium or uh, in the mix between different uh, media, so to speak. Well, would you agree then that, that this is my perception at least, uh, and I guess it's self-evident uh, that when you were talking about the value system of art, uh, you know, sort of continuing on what you're saying there, the actual object that you produce, it's, it's not really the important thing. It is part of some kind of uh, research or some kind of exploration or whatever you want to call it. In, in many cases, I think that's true. Uh, just uh, 
yesterday or something we had this case where an invisible work of art was sold for yeah. 150,000 crowns. Yeah, and then you mm. get to that, I, the, the, that point where the idea yeah. is the important thing, not yeah. the actual object or, or yeah. Yeah, so, what you're uh, looking at. Yeah, so in that case, that, that, that's true that this is some, I guess, perhaps a, a logical uh, end or, or like this logical rabbit hole that you can uh, go into. Uh, for me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about the actual objects I create as well and, and the imagery and, and the stories I try to uh, tell. But um, of course, there, there, there is this notion that ideas in themselves uh, and in their uh, reference to, the, to a broader or, or perhaps more uh, precisely a, a more narrow context in many cases that, that, that you have uh, Duchamp and you have Picasso and you have this uh, kind of the modern masters that did and invented everything, so to speak, in, in the 20th century. And then everyone that came afterwards has to somehow react to that in a way. And often that results in, in sorts of, I guess, a paraphrase and also these um, references to this information. Uh, and, and this creates like different uh, iterations that are more and more spef specific. So uh, I, I guess the, the problem then is that you, you end up with, with a field consisting of just uh, in, um, inside jokes, so mm. to speak, mm. and, and it can uh, fragment not uh, uh, in a way that you have in the modern art field itself. You have like these different small fields that don't really talk or correspond to each other. So, um, so there, I think the kind of the question about values uh, it's poignant and and it's. Um, I think it, that's something I've been starting to think more about uh, lately as well, to try to kind of uh, at least discover for, for myself what, what I'm um, interested in and what I try to manifest through my work. And, and, and somehow I think after conversations with you that there is some sort of overlap uh, as far as I know that you uh, and I guess uh, kitsch painters in general are concerned about the idea about universality, for instance, mm. and, and this empathy and, and the sort of sentimentality and, and I guess the uh, dramaturgical or, or the drama emerging from like good storytelling. And I guess perhaps the main difference are the uh, parameters or, or uh, the, the ways in which we tell stories. And in, yeah. yeah, because I think um, a fundamental thing is that that was such a funny thing I learned from Boris College. Talks about expression, expressing yeah. yourself, mm. and it says, "Well, that's what you do sitting on the toilet, right?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? um, because, uh, like the credo, I think of kitsch is is uh, something that I quoted Andrew Wyeth on uh, several times. That when he talks about that, he wished when he was looking at some motif that he wasn't there. He would just be a pair of eyes looking mm. at this. Mm. That it's not him expressing himself, mm. but it's it's seeing something universal, yeah. something which is eternally human, mm. and depicting that, but in a recognizable form. Yeah. And then of course, that is a basic tenet in in um, in kitsch uh, kitsch philosophy mm. is that it has to be recognizable as nature yeah. but i think that's where you really need to 
to um, uh, be quite specific because mm. the cliche, also among figurative painters, I've, I've been there myself, mm. is that you have to be, do everything exactly correct, you know, every, like a naturalistic mm. yeah, or photographic. That's right? yeah. Uh, because that's sort of the opposite of the mm. art uh, thing. It's, it's mm. easy to fall into that. Well, they yeah. are the bad modernists, and they, they are they don't know how to paint. But I'm going to show you, mm. you know, all the hairs on the around the eyes. So yeah. I'll, I'll paint them. Um, but then, uh, coming back to that aesthetical indifference, then you, as a figurative painter, would fall into the same trap. Yeah. Trying to do the, the opposite, and then you do the same mm. because you, you you lack that, or you you fail to understand that there needs to be this pathos. Mm. And I think that is where you have, uh, I think that's the, like the, the main opposition mm. between the value system of art and kitsch is that aesthetical indifference and on the other hand, pathos or sentimentality, yeah. which word you want to use. Yeah. And um, there's a funny thing. I, I'll send you the link to um, uh, a story mm. by Robert McKee on screenwriting. Because, uh, of course, that's music in my ears, uh, mm. at least when I'm saying that a story is the same thing as uh, uh, having eternal content. If it's not eternal, it's not a story anymore. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's either eternal or it's not a story. And, of course, um, that is a, you know, these things are fused together, right? So if you have sentimentality, that's not just something you want in itself, but it ha it comes out of telling a story that is logically consistent, and you see the reaction between these figures in in the painting. Hopefully, if it's composition, right? Mm. And um, and that's where you. I've thought a lot about that because it's sort of going on a little detour here. But you know, as a classical figurative painter, it's been typical to uh, that they drew, draw the Nazi card because Hitler liked uh, figurative painting. You know, blah oh, blah. Yeah. And I look at it, and I have two big volumes with, you know, so-called Nazi art, which yeah. just figurative paintings that, that was made at the time. Sometimes mm. they just call it German landscape to be able to come into an exhibition, right? Yeah. And, uh, but with this, uh, the figures that are sitting there in these sort of, you know, famous examples that they use, their expressions are totally blank. Mm. There's no pathos there. There's no, no drama. There's no action. There's no character. There's, there's nothing going on. Mm. And I think, um, I don't know what you think about that, but I cannot see that as an element within the value system of art. I mean, you can talk about some kind of transitional period, mm -hmm. and I guess you would be, would you describe yourself more like a modernist in the sense that you are concerned with the actual object that, object that you make? Yeah, I think well, whereas the sort of the pure conceptualist is more of a later development, you're sort of a, yeah, definitely. You're sort of a conservative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's kind of funny because uh, at my uh, at my art school, I or I've been called a, a cliche artist in in yeah. in the way that I like to make actual paintings or actual sculptures and, yeah. and like to like you create work things. over a period uh, of time with yeah. that. <laughs> I, I, and and I and I have been very interested in I guess. Um, uh, both schools of the German expressionists, for instance, where okay. where they uh, infused their artistic uh, endeavors with with this concept of the universal and, and also with spirituality. I think uh, from 
a lot of them were influenced by Blavatsky, who was a, a oh. mystic. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Madame Blavatsky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, danger, danger. getting far. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, I like this kind of um, uh, uh, idea and reaction I got from, from trying to uh, communicate through your art and not being in this kind of self-insulated conceptual sphere where, where you only uh, create in, in internal or inside references that that become in a sense their own currency and their own like point of departure yeah. from uh, um, you know with the whole concept of, of, of taste from Pierre Bourdieu for instance where where you use language or art to distinguish yourself from other people yeah. uh, like so, a uniform yeah, yeah. Uh, and in a sense you become better or you get more cultural cap uh, capital uh, than the common man, so to speak. And mm -hmm. I think this is part of the kernel of, of what I'd call the, uh, the kind of image problem of, uh, or, or public relations problem of modern <laughs> art, <laughs> if you, if you uh, want to call it that way, because uh, uh, a lot of people at my school, for instance, uh, they are very, uh, in a sense, left-leaning and, and with this classical idea of um, the working class and their interest and, and economic indif uh, differences. And, so uh, like they're on their side. Uh, yeah, yeah, but of course the working class are turning against uh, the modern artist. Uh, now with the, the, the squandering ombudsman who was here, yeah. uh, a, a, a lot of uh, the people in his uh, comments and following his page are uh, representatives of, of the working class. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of the artists, and especially, I guess, uh, stage-based art, uh, they really um, hate those kind of, I guess, what they'd call banal critiques. That, mm. Oh, you just don't understand. And this is where this internal field of, of just references and contextual ideas that are self-insulated becomes uh, uh, just a, a sort of an alienating thing that removes this and this part that I think we are both interested in, regardless of how we produce or how we um, express the, the, the point of storytelling and communication. Mm. Or I was talking to Sebastian Salvo uh, late yesterday and he, he, he thought about uh, the, the word like religion, which, which according to him is uh, a combination of ligar and re, which mm. means putting things back together or, or something. And I, it seems to me in Kitsch as well that uh, you try to create some sort of unity in, in both in storytelling and the internal composition of the pictures, like the formal elements, but also the informal kind of the, the actual emotional reactions you want to, um, to create. Or, or perhaps more specifically, the, that the picture is, is charged with some sort of story that, it, that is possible to react emotionally to. And, and this could be kind of construed a, a lot, uh, at least at the academy or, or the art school where I go now, that this is kind of outdated and old and, and yeah, banal. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. if, from a kitsch perspective, that's what I see as a weakness then yeah. with the, the uh, value system of art, yes. is that you undercut that basic human need for, yeah. uh, for seeing your life reflected in an eternal uh, perspective. Mm. I think that's a basic idea that that people uh, need, mm. and uh, you know that's why, from uh, well, from a kitsch perspective, 
this whole idea of originality is completely not absurd, but not a question. Mm. Because it's a matter of how well do you tell the story. Yeah. So that, per definition, excludes the idea of originality yeah. from that field when that is the goal. Mm. If you want to create a story that, that uh, has this archetypical uh, um, content, mm. then you know, originality just makes it difficult for the audience to connect to it. Yeah. And if, if there is some kind of a so-called originality, oh, I hadn't seen that before, suddenly you see some, some aspect of life that you hadn't thought mm. about, then that is not something completely foreign to you. No. It's just something you hadn't thought about, mm. but it strikes you because it is yeah. something that is already internal in, in you somehow. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, so, so uh, but that's interesting, interesting too, too, that um, that's maybe a, already like 50, maybe 20 years ago. Mm. I read an interview with a professor of art theory. Mm. Very renowned. He'd been a um, director of a of Astrophysical Museum of Modern Art, yeah. so he's very high up. And he just blankly stated that originality is not a thing anymore. Mm. And that was interesting because I've been thinking about the same thing. That, uh, as far as I can see, uh, within art, it's. M- out of originality, because that sounds like you're an individual, and you know you don't, don't want to say, "Oh, I'm, do, I'm doing whatever mm. else, everyone <laughs> else are doing," right? But originality, uh, aesthetical indifference, and being of your time. Mm. I think being of your time and aesthetical indifference are perhaps the most central values. Yeah. Uh, um, well, uh, because again, that that is a thing. But okay, how does it differ from kitsch? Well, there you have sentimentality and not being of the time, yeah. right? So it's yeah. quite clear yeah. difference. Yeah, I see your point. Yeah. And uh, it just makes me think that oh, perhaps I'm not that modern after all because I'm, I'm, um, I can see the appeal of, of um, somehow um, hmm, polishing the zeitgeist, so to speak, like the, uh, the time in, uh, in which you are... Uh, creating stuff uh, related to what is immediately uh, kind of the cultural context around you uh, being uh, in your time. But, but uh, I'd never kind of, I'd never trade that away for being like in this universal time, so to speak. So if mm. you are going to, mm. uh, I think most of the modern art that is successful and still is in its time carries uh, an aspect of the of the universal still. Well, that, that's the thing you have. What was that? Uh, that was in at that museum, modern museum, uh, French painter. Anyway, modernist. But he had painted something where very abstract, but you could see there was some kind of a horse there, whatever. And I thought, well, <laughs> well, actually, Brock says it. No art can survive without a drop of kitsch. <laughs> yeah. That's his words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's something there recognizable. There's a horse. You know, there's mm. some kind of story going on. Mm. So people naturally search for that or yeah. try, try to find that. Right? Yeah, and they, they search for what they already know, so to speak. It's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think that's uh, that's completely natural. Uh, and I've been thinking uh, about um, kind of what are the uh, things that that makes uh, art or, or, or kitsch or like any kind of aesthetic experience come alive like what 
for instance, what happens in, in the brain. I tried to do some research on that. I'm not a brain scientist, obviously, <laughs> but I... I but you're a brainy guy. <laughs> was uh, very interested in, in the work of, uh, I think he's an Indian uh, neurologist that was working with uh, brain damaged uh, patients. Uh, and he, uh, somehow it occurred to him that, well, perhaps I can use these... Uh, kind of uh, different brain structures and, and damages and like really rare kind of uh, brain diseases that gives um, certain very specific syndromes. Like, for instance, with one sort of brain damage, you um, uh, everything is normal. But when you see your own mother, you uh, immediately think that she's an imposter. She's not real. She's just someone pretending to be your mother. And that's the only <laughs> affliction that happens with this particular thing. And, and, and this uh, guy, I think his name is uh, Vilyanur uh, Ramachandran, uh, he tried to then extrapolate and, and, and investigate further. Like, so uh, how can this happen? How can it be so specific and isolated? And just this one aspect of reality is so fundamentally ch changed when everything else uh, is still the same. And... Uh, so his point uh, was that uh, uh, somehow a lot of, uh, I think regardless of modern or, or kitsch uh, type of art, uh, I think that every successful uh, form of like aesthetic experience somehow uh, or often um, overstimulates in a sense uh, certain uh, parts of your brain or make your brain uh, communicate differently with itself. For instance, he was talking about... Um, an ornithologist, uh, a guy that was studying birds, and he was studying uh, the nest of uh, of a seagull and uh, the the fledglings or or like the um, uh, children, so to speak, in the nest. Uh, they don't recognize the the seagull, uh, their mother, through the shape of the seagull. Like when we, if uh, if I was asked to draw a seagull now, I'd probably throw up the the contour, like the shape. Uh, but of course, the the fledglings, the only um, recognize their mother based on one red dot on the beak mm. and that that red dot is the entire world so when they see that red dot they immediately open their mouth and start to call for food so this ornithologist uh, tried to check this out so when the seagull left the nest he'd take a, a long stick and just paint a red dot and of course they thought it was their mother yeah but the, the interesting point here for uh, Ramachandran, when was uh, by some kind of accident or just some kind of playfulness, this ornithologist, he, he erased the red dot and he made um, a, um, a red ring instead and then presented it to them. And then he got another kind of reaction. And then, okay, maybe if I just make three red rings for some reason, I don't know why, I don't think he uh, knew as well. I think he just experimented. Suddenly he he um, pro provoked a reaction from the fledglings that when presented with both the stick and the seagull mother, they, they'd rather have the stick. And this is what I think he called the peak shift principle, that, that art has this um, fundamental way of charging and, and overstimulating your brain to such a degree that you could even <laughs> look past your own basic needs or you can uh -huh. be tricked in a sense. Thank you for checking out this clip from the Cave of Apelles. If you want to watch the entire segment, head over to caveofapelles.com donate and become a $5 patron. That will allow you to access all our Dark Flame episodes, bonus material with our featured guests and more.